Good afternoon. Welcome to Your American Heritage. My name is Ed Bondarenka. My pronouns are shall not and be infringed, and I am. Not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. Working the board and the phone lines is Derek Stone. And Derek has a show called Stone Cold Sports, and it airs on Sundays at noon 30, right after my friend Sean Todd on the intersection at noon. You should listen because it's not your normal fluffy Christian show. Now, this show, in fact, all the shows, is available by podcast. And why don't you share it with your friends? If you find it interesting, I mean, you're listening. Maybe they'd like to listen. Find it on Spotify or Google Podcasts and subscribe. It's day 556 of the coup, the theft of the American government by enemies, both foreign and domestic. Our federal government has been stolen by the illegal actions of leftist politicians. You know, we call them Democrats. And they are turning our law enforcement agencies on our citizens, and we must stop this. Now, before I introduce our guest, let's remember that this is spiritual warfare, good versus evil. Psalm 120 says, now I was laying in bed the other night saying, what should I read? And then Psalm 120 came to mind, and this is what I read. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that, I'm sorry, woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Boy, that kind of kind of describes the situation we find ourselves in here is that we dwell in a land with people who also dwell in the land that are attacking us. And this is an accusatory psalm of them, and it's calling for God to deal with them. That's what we call imprecatory prayer. So it's it's not unheard of in the Bible to pray against your enemies. Psalm 144. Every week I'm going to say this. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge. Clasp your hands and these fingers together by your heads and let's pray. Let's go to war. Father, please lead and guide our nation. Please bring repentance to those that need it and remove from office those that seek to oppress us and threaten us. Please lead the American citizen as he casts his or her vote. And please give us representatives that will reflect true American and biblical values. Help us make our choices wisely. And please bring relief to the political prisoners of January 6th. Amen. Now, my guest today is Derek Kinnison, our mutual friend and former guest, uh, Beth Moranville introduced me to Derek and told me something about his story. So I gave him a call. And as we were talking, I realized this is somebody I want to tell his story on the air because we have had 
a massive attack on our citizenry by our government in an attempt to shut us up and make us fearful, to make us fearful of opposing them, of standing up to them. As our guest on the last show said when we were talking about this, it isn't always the crime and it certainly isn't the acquittal. It's the cost of being tried. It's the cost of lawyers. It's, it's uh, lawfare where you know they have these foundations and even government tax uh, uh, revenue to come after you with <laughs> tax. Your taxes paying for these lawyers that are now attacking you and you have to cough up the money to defend yourself. Uh, interestingly enough, we're going to be having Pastor uh, Archer Pulowski on shortly. He has been acquitted in Canada and the government has got to give him all his money back for his defense. That's a big hallelujah. So Derek, is our friend Derek Kinnison on the phone right now? Derek, tell us a little bit about yourself before we before we get into the situation you find yourself in. Yeah, uh, good afternoon. Can you guys hear me all right? Oh, yeah, just fine. Great, really. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, that was great prayer, uh, great psalms, um, just very uh, inspirational, and uh, uh, definitely a huge win for Pastor Arthur Pulowski. I did get to meet him a few months back, or I, a little more than a few months back. He's been in jail, but... Um, Got to meet him before he went into jail, and uh, I actually shared some of my story with him. And he's like, oh, you're my hero. I said, no, 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 you're my hero. And we had a brief argument about that, but yeah, what a great, great man. Yes, we were we were going to have him in our church here, and I was going to be in him personally, and then things just fell through because it was so last minute. And uh, yeah, as I understand, he actually spent – uh, spent some time in the house of Beth Moranville and uh, at your church. So that's excellent. The man's a hero. We've had him on this show ah, three, four times maybe. In fact, to tell you a story real quick about him, I was at a church, a friend of mine, Pastor Sean Todd, uh, pastored, and uh, the assistant pastor, Pat, shows me this video on Easter, and he says, look at this guy. And it was his pastor, Arthur, had just chased them out of his church the day before because he goes to church on Saturdays. And I was just stunned. I said, I want to get this guy on my show. So Sherry and I went home and we started doing detective work. We watched that video over and over and over. And we saw all the little clues in the background, the license plates, the signs. And we narrowed it down to where he went to church. We found him. I think we were one of the first people in the country to interview him. So I'm, I'm a little bit proud of that. So I yeah, appreciate you awesome. joining us today. So uh, what do you do for a living? Um, I just, uh, have a, uh, very small pressure washing business. I'm self-employed. So I'm trying to run a small business here in California, which is, uh, extremely harder and harder by the day. Yeah. That's an oppression in and of itself. Right. And so you felt the call to go to Washington DC on January 6th, like actually a few of my friends did also. So why don't you, uh, Tell us, start with your motive for going to Washington. Well, the the biggest motive was I, I work security at my church, and, you know, God called us as men to kind of be the protectors of, you know, the widows, the orphans, the elderly, the weak, the poor. 
And I mean, just that's, that's written on the flesh of our hearts. And that's something that I do twice a week at church is just look over everybody, make sure everybody can enjoy their fellowship safely without anybody coming to wish to do them evil. The other motivation was um, uh, two weeks prior to January 6th, I believe it's December 12th, um, they had a large rally in Washington, D.C. It was like a stop the steal rally, and um, Antifa and BLM uh, terrorists were sneaking through the crowd, and several people were stabbed. So we figured January 6th, this is going to be like a huge, huge deal. It was a presidential call-out. You know, of course, it was a presidential call-out, so, you know, we wanted to show support that way as well. But our main concern was that uh, these um, evil, demonically inspired people were going to be trying to do the same thing, come through, seek out soft targets, elderly women traveling alone, families, whatever. And, uh, you know, wish to do them harm. And we know in huge, huge crowds like that, there's not generally enough law enforcement or medical aid or, you know, it takes a long time for people to get the help. So we just wanted to try to be extra set eyes and ears um, and, you know, to maybe build that bridge. We all had medical gear, you know, just to ensure safety of uh, people wanting to exercise their First Amendment protection. Excellent, excellent. Uh, basically, a sheepdog, right? Yeah, yeah. Watch, uh, just just watching out for everybody, keeping try to keep everybody safe the best we can. You know, I, I once had to fill out a form, and it asked what my religion was, and I wrote in it uh, the the quote from the from James. I think it's in the second chapter. This is religion, pure and undefiled, to watch over widows and orphans and keep oneself undefiled from the world. I think that's one of the way one of the translations puts it, New American Standard. And that's exactly what, that's religion. If you, religion is what Amen. you do. Religion is not how you get to heaven. Religion is what you do once you're on your way to heaven. So a little plug for Jesus there. Um, <laughs> so, so you got there and um, you got to Washington, D.C. I have friends that actually right after January 6th, uh, I interviewed a few friends on air who had gone there. And uh, one of them, or one of them I interviewed later, well, I talked to later on the phone, did not interview him. I can't remember now. But regardless, uh, one of them basically did not go to the rally because she actually felt ill in her hotel room and didn't go. Uh, another one went nearby but didn't enter because he saw what was going on. And a third was there, and he's a former congressman, and he was actually in the Capitol. And the FBI visited his house, and two agents came and, and talked to him. And basically, he stood up to them to some degree, and uh, they eventually left, and no charges were filed. And I don't know if that's because of his former congressional status or not, but you had agents come to your door would you care to explain how they came to your door? Yeah, yeah. So just kind of real quick and real brief because I am going going through a case, uh, you know, fighting this in court right now. But, um, yeah, basically I did not enter the Capitol on January 6th. They know I didn't go in. Um, I'm not charged with going in. I'm not charged with any violence, any confrontation with police. Obviously, every police officer has a body cam, so there's no footage out there. 
anything like that of me doing anything violent, destruction of property, anything. So um, basically, I stood outside the building. And uh, yeah, February 19th, 2021, um, basically, I, I woke up hearing you know, kind of like voices and uh, thought my daughter was watching a YouTube video or something real loud. And then I kind of drew my ears in and they said all occupants, they listed my address. Said, this is the FBI. We have a federal search warrant. Come out with your hands up, nothing in your hands. I'm like, oh man, I, at first I thought it was a joke. I kind of ran to the front window, opened the shutters, saw my whole street was filled up, flashing lights, battering rams, you know, guys in full tactical gear, guns. I'm like, oh, man, this is no joke. And I ran in. Uh, my 12-year-old daughter was asleep at the time. Um, she sleeps in a back brace for scoliosis. I had to kind of wake her up. Said, sweetheart, you got to wake up. Daddy has to go outside right now because I knew they were about to start either breaching my house or lobbing, the, you know, CS gas or smoke grenades or whatever. So um, I opened my front door. They popped off flashbangs, uh, flashbang grenades. Um, they had guys in my backyard already that um, went in through my neighbor's yard, broke a hole in the fence. They were getting ready to breach my bedroom window. I came out, had red dots pointed all over, all over me, and just pretty much peacefully surrendered, knelt down, you know, gave them my hands. They cuffed me. They asked if uh, there was anyone else in the house. I said, yes, guys, I have a 12-year-old daughter. Please, please go easy on my daughter. And I have two small dogs that are not going to be an issue. So that's uh, that's how I started uh, my morning. You know, it was uh, 6, 6.02 in the morning. Uh, uh, it was a Friday, and, you know, it was fairly cold for us here in California. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, the beginning of... Uh, of a uh, very, very interesting day, to say the least. And how long ago was that? Uh, February 21st. I'm sorry, February 19th, 2021. And basically, yeah, I, I, there was a, at one point over 100 people on my street. It was a full joint terrorism task force with, you know, FBI and all kinds of other alphabets. Uh, they had the SWAT team, battering ram. They used uh, drones. They had the robot that opens the doors with the cameras and climbs stairs and all that. I mean, they they spared no no expense, you know. And I'm I'm someone who's never had a uh, criminal history by any means. And um, yeah, they just came in. I mean, just um, didn't show me a warrant. They searched my house. Um, I didn't have anything to hide. I figured they had a warrant. I gave them the code to my safe. Didn't have anything in there I'm not supposed to have. Then they asked about my RV in the driveway. And I kind of know that you need a separate warrant for that. And the guy started cussing at me. He said, you want your effing door ripped off? I said, hey, I'm not trying to be difficult, but I don't know who you are, and I don't know why you're here. They said, we have a warrant. Now, let us in. We'll rip your effing door off. I said, can I see the warrant? He said, it's not here. I said, how can you serve a warrant? The warrant's not on scene. He says, oh, well, you'll get to see it. It's around the corner. I said, okay, I would like a uh, Riverside County Sheriff's deputy here for my representation. And he looked at me and said, that's not going to happen. And he went in and 
got the keys, started searching my trailer. Hard to argue with guys with guns and red dots on your daughter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they had red dots pointed at my daughter as she came out. They called her out by name. You know, they got guns pointed at her, and they're like, oh, everything's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, she was such she was such street. a threat to the republic. Everything's going to be all right, and they're they're red dotting red dotting her. Now, your daughter, being twelve years old, she's probably aware of what those red dots meant, right? They were party favors. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You know, I, and I, mean, I, I just thank God for this. giving her the strength to to deal with that situation. I'm sorry, I was I accidentally walked over you. Would you repeat that, please? Because it's important. Oh, I just said I'm just very thankful that God has given her the strength to deal with that situation. Has it? Has she had any trauma or PTSD or anything from that event? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know how deep it goes, um, but I just actually heard yesterday through a conversation with my wife that you know, I'm sure you've heard that there have been a few January 6th um, defendants who have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I had brought that up, and I guess that caused some deep, deep worry for my daughter to the point where if I went out in the garage in the evening or something, it would she would get scared. And, I was, you know, it, it broke my heart. And this was just yesterday, you know, just yesterday. So I sat down with her and I just, you know, I had to lay it out. It's sweetheart, you know, daddy would never do that to you guys, you know, but I mean, it is such, you know, such a, a hard, hard deal that they're doing this to families, to children. And it's not just me. There's, you know, 850 defendants right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a subject that I pay close attention to. Um, oh, there are different podcasts that, uh, feature uh, some of the people involved in this. And actually, I I lost my note on the one author. Uh, is it Gene Kelly? Who's uh, uh, Julie wrote Kelly. a book on this. And uh, Julie Kelly. Pardon me? Julie Kelly. Julie Kelly. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. She's written a good book on this. I hear her interviewed on uh, Lou Dobbs' uh, podcast, which I highly recommend. There's another podcast called uh, Conservative Daily podcast which uh, i listen to frequently i don't listen to everything because i don't have i have a job <laughs> so uh you know but i pick and choose but uh, though they're on my list and um yeah it's, it's it's this is a real shame of what's happening in america where uh, american citizens patriots uh good people like yourself have been targeted by their own government now i won't say by america america is a total let me ask you something how has this colored your patriotism? Well, uh, just kind of uh, honestly, what you were about to unpack right there is, is yeah, that's not America. And that's something I, I learned, you know, and, and unfortunately I learned a little later in life that, you know, the government is not America. You know, America is a beautiful thing. America is an idea. America is the country. Um, I am an originalist. I love the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence. It's not a living document to be, you know, gender fluid or just, you know, interpreted however, you know, by today's standards. You know, I, I, I love our foundation, and that that is America. And this system of government that is in place that's 
basically terrorizing its own citizens right now and holding political prisoners on U.S. soil with no no bond, no bail, no trial dates. Um, but yeah, that's that's not America. So I I do not like the tyranny. But as far as our country, yeah, this this country is a beacon of freedom. It's founded on Judeo-Christian values. And, um, you know, uh, that part has grown stronger through this. Um, but I do realize that no matter if you have a D or an R in front of your name, you know, a lot of times it's controlled opposition at the same side. They all go out to dinner after the C-SPAN show and they're not working for us. They're working for themselves. Yeah, that's, that's a shame. We, we need a, a red wave this fall and we need, we need congressmen who are going to do battle with this. Uh, one thing I neglected to mention is I was on the previous show before this one and we were talking politics and candidates and, and excuse me, I got to make a plug for somebody that's Hema Colana Garetti who is running for the 6th District uh, con- Congressional in, in Michigan. And if you see that name on the ballot August 2nd, think of HEMA, H-I-M-A, please. Uh, these are the kind of firebrands that we need to uh, restore America, to take back the country from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and, quite frankly, all the, the puppet masters behind uh, President Xi Biden. Um so let's see now, we've got a couple minutes left. You have a lot of financial expenses here. And uh, how are you trying to resolve them? Well, I mean, God has still blessed me with um, with work. So my business, you know, I'm still able to kind of maintain with that. Um, I do have a, a legal fundraiser that um, I've been very, very blessed with as well, which has kind of helped out. Tell us about that. Is it a give, send, go? Yeah, it's a, it's a give, send, go. So it's give, send, go, and it's forward slash my name, which is Derek, D-E-R-E-K. Last name is Kinnison, K-I-N-N-I-S-O-N. So it's give, send, go, forward slash Derek Kinnison. All right, folks, if you want to if you want to help a patriot, you know, if you can't be there yourself, then you send money to those who can be. And uh, uh Chip in if everybody gave a dollar. Well, it's a lot of dollars, and um, yeah. so let's go on here for a second. I, we've got about a minute left, and uh, I'm looking down here. By the way, interestingly enough, we had uh, a guy on last week. We have one minute left. We had a guy on last week who's running for governor, and uh, he got approached by the FBI and arrested, and had his guns taken away, and he was taken away in shackles the day of the January sixth. Um, uh, show trial started. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's that. I mean, these people do anything. They're despicable. This this these people who are doing this are despicable. Well, I appreciate you joining us today, Derek. God bless you. Thank you very much. We've got thirty seconds left till the commercial break. So, closing words. Um. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say for everybody to keep fighting. Um. Again, I'm fighting five felonies. Uh, non-consecutive would be 80 years in prison, and uh, total fines okay. maximum would be 1.25 million dollars. And uh, I'm, I'm still right. fighting. We just got to go. We've got to go. Thanks for right. joining us today. God bless you.
We were made to be rage. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Well, welcome back to Your American Heritage, the second half of the show. Uh, I, My guest today earlier was Derek Kinnison, and something I didn't mention that I should is there are two good movies. One just came out. Uh, Epic Times came out with a great movie called the, the Real Truth about January 6th, which shows a lot of the footage you don't see on the news shows, okay? Uh, the Real Truth about January 6th, epictimes.com. And um, that just came out recently. A movie that has been out for a while is Capital Punishment, the movie. CapitalPunishmentTheMovie.com. Now, that you have to pay to rent that. That's 10 bucks. But actually, uh, my guest Derek appeared in the trailer for that, uh, describing his, his uh, situation as, as he did here. But uh, two good movies if you want to get the real truth on what's going on, okay? So let's go over the news. I, I like this, okay? Washington, D.C. Republicans shut out Democrats in congressional baseball game at Nationals Park. Derek, did you did you read about this? I know about the Democratic congresswoman who flipped off the Republican baseball team. Oh, of course. Well, yeah, but it, last a few years ago, it was worse than that. A few years ago, a crazed Democrat took a rifle and shot a number of Republicans and law officers, nearly killing Steve Scalise. Well, this time, the Republicans beat the Democrats with bats. I love saying that. The Republicans beat the Democrats with bats. They use these bats to score 10 to 0. You know the phrase, as American as baseball? Well, Americans know how to play baseball. I think the Democrats would have been better at soccer. That's my my two cents on sports today. So uh, more news. The Republican governors of Texas and Arizona have shipped illegal aliens to New York City and Washington, D.C., just like the Biden administration has been shipping them to Albion and all over middle America. Well, now the sanctuary cities of New York City and Washington, D.C. are crying for yeah, welcome to the party, pal. You get your share now. So they're not really happy about that. You know, so uh, what's the Biden response? Well, this is very interesting. This is response A. Send these people to these cities on the east coast. So as you know, we're in constant communication and contact with governors uh, just across the country. I don't have anything specific to that uh you know, that the specific on uh, migrants being uh, shipped to other states. Is there a message from the White House about? And I think it's, I, I think we, we have, this has come up before, I believe a couple of months ago, and I think we believe it's shameful uh, that, uh, that uh, some governors are using uh, migrants as a political tool, uh, as a political play, uh, when uh, we should be uh, making sure that we're doing everything that we can uh, to, help, uh, to help folks who are coming into this process uh, uh, in, in a uh, legal way. In a legal way. Well, that's not what they're doing. It's not a legal way. So, you know, 
she speaks with forked tongue, you know? And then there's response B, which is Biden is filling the gaps in the Trump wall in certain places. Imagine that. Well, it's not something he's, the Korean, what's her face, uh, Jean-Pierre is talking about on the air, bragging about it. It's just something they're doing. And why might they be doing that? Why would they all of a sudden think the wall might be a good thing? Well, maybe it might be to keep these illegal aliens out of sanctuary cities? Oh, we'll see. I want to read you a little literature here, okay? This is this is taken from the end of the book, 1984, by former socialist, read communist, George Orwell. All right, this is about the character uh, Winston. He had capitulated. That was agreed. In reality, as he saw now, he had been ready to capitulate long before he had taken the decision from the moment when he was inside the ministry of love. And yes, even during those minutes when he and Julia had stood helpless while the iron voice from the telescreen told him what to do, he had grasped the frivolity, the shallowness of his attempt to set himself up against the power of the party. He knew now that for seven years, the thought police had watched him like a beetle under a magnifying glass. There was no physical act, no spoken word aloud that they had not noticed, no train of thought that they had not been able to infer. Even the speckish whitish dust on the cover of his diary, they had carefully replaced. They had played soundtracks to him, shown him photographs. Some of them were photographs of Julia and himself. Yes, even he could not fight against the party any longer. Besides, the party was in the right. It must be so. How could the immortal collective brain be mistaken? By what external standard could you check its judgments? Sanity was statistical. It was merely a question of learning to think as they thought. Only. The pencil felt thick and awkward in his fingers. He began to write down the thoughts that came into his head. He wrote first in large clumsy capitals, freedom is slavery. Then almost without a pause, he wrote beneath it, two and two make five. Now, I'm going to repeat that one, two and two make five. But then there came a sort of check. His mind, as though shying away from something, seemed unable to concentrate. He knew that he knew what came next, but for the moment he could not recall it. When he did recall it, it was only by consciously reasoning out what it must be. It did not come of his own accord. He wrote, God is power. He accepted everything. The past was alterable. The past never had been altered. Oceania was at war with East Asia, and Oceania had always been at war with East Asia. So, that's, of course, 1984 telling us that the government can tell you something, and it must be true. The government said it. And so many people believe it. And you got to wear masks. Masks save lives, right? Oh, the shot. The shot saves lives. And if you only take the shot, why? You won't get COVID, and you won't pass COVID on to anybody else. And and it's healthy. It's And it, it's good. It'll last forever. Uh, get the booster. You need the booster. Um, you know, you need another booster. Holy cow, it seems like you need another booster, but at least it'll keep you from going into the hospital and dying. Unless, of course, you get myocarditis and uh, and die, like many people have. So you got redefinition of terms by the government. And this is Janet Yellen. All right. You got to listen to her. This is this is pathetic. This is not an economy that's in recession, but we're in a period of transition in which growth is slowing and 
that's necessary and appropriate and um, it, we need to be growing at a steady and sustainable pace. So there is a slowdown and businesses can see that and that's appropriate given that people now have jobs and we have a strong labor market. But you don't see any of the signs now. A, a, a recession is a broad-based contraction that affects many sectors of the economy. We just don't have that. No, we don't have a broad-based retraction of the economy. By the way, folks, phone number is 734-822-1600. If you want to join in on the conversation, 734-822-1600. Now, You've got Janet Yellen telling you that this is part of a transition. Now, I looked up in the dictionary for the definition of a transition, and it turns out that the, the dictionary definition is two quarters of negative growth rate in the economy and the GDP. No, not really. But, hey, that's, that's what it must really mean because, hey, a recession is just a broad-based. It used to be, as I defined, as I defined a transition. And what are we transitioning to? We're transitioning to poverty. We're transitioning to Greece. We're transitioning to Sri Lanka, where, oh, all of a sudden, food is bad. And eat bugs instead, huh? Now, this is good because Peter Ducci approached Jean-Pierre uh, about her about what's a recession, all right? We'll try again. And what is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't def I'm not going to define it from here. Things are going so great, though, then why is it the White House officials are trying to redefine recession? No, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. That is not the definition. Right said in 2008, of course, economists have a technical definition, which is of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I can tell and you this. They said two, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of a recession. It is what not. Changed? It is not. Why did he say that it, it was? It is not. I can, I can speak to present? I can speak to you to what he what? said yesterday in front of all of you, which is the last thing that you just repeated. There are many factors. There are many factors, economic factors and indicators to consider. Uh, and I will say that uh, the textbook definition of recession is not is not two negative quarters of GDP. We have a strong labor market. We have business that's investing. We have consumers uh, that are also uh, very much uh, uh, you know in, in investing and and purchasing. That is incredibly important. We have 3.6 unemployment. You do not see that in a pre-recession, and you do not see that in a recession. So the factors that we are seeing right now, the economic indicators. Uh, does not does not show that we're in recession and I'll read since you gave me some quotes I'll give you some as well in 2009 the St. Louis Fed said while the popular definition of recession is two consecutive quarters of negative real gross domestic product GDP growth the NBER which we have mentioned many times in this room does not strictly abide by this designation instead the committee broadly defines a recession as a significant decline in economic activity spreading across the economy, lasting more than a few months. Well, let's see, a few months, a few months, let's see, that 
What's a few? Would that be like four or five? I've always thought of a few as four or five. And how many months are in a quarter? Uh, three. And how many are in two quarters? Six. So basically, the, she just requoted or actually even made a narrower understanding of what a recession is. They don't want to say recession. You can't say recession in an election year when you want to get your Democrats reelected. So they're lying to you. They're lying to you through their mouths. You know, that's that's what they're doing. Well, who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? Yeah, they, who are you going to believe? Your own eyes? I mean, come on, you don't know anything. You're not a, you're not a biologist. You're not an economist. You just got to listen to this uh, corn road uh, ceiling breaker, okay? Of uh, uh, all, all the you know, she's the first lesbian, black, immigrant speaker for the president. So she's qualified, okay? And by the way, Oceania was always at war with East Asia, and Oceania had always been at war with East Asia. You must remember that. So then, of course, we've got this guy, Mayorkas. Is the border safe? Now I was watching a news channel and they were talking about an invasion was happening and I got a little concerned. Look. <laughs> um, the border the border is secure. The border, um, we are working to make the border more secure. That has been a historic challenge. Uh, I have said to a number of legislators who expressed to me that um, we need to address the challenge at the border before um, they pass legislation. And I take issue with the math of holding the solution hostage until the problem is resolved. The border is secure. It just needs to be more secure. Well, then it's not secure if it has to be more secure. People are pouring through it, right? So, uh, of course, now again, they're they're filling in the uh, the the walls. They're filling in the, the the gaps in the wall to keep these people from getting to Washington D.C. and New York City because they can't afford it. It seems like uh, cities like Albion and other middle western uh, middle western cities. That's all right if they have to absorb the cost of all these people flooding into their school districts, flooding into their hospitals, flooding into uh, all the social net that they don't deserve because they're not citizens. But hey, what do I know? Ah, see, let's take some calls. Joe from Wyandotte's on the phone with a comment about Janet Yellen. Hey, Joe, what do you know? Hey, yeah, it's okay when Biden is putting people on planes and flying them all over the country. But heaven forbid we actually send them to the sanctuary cities where they claim they're you know, they want them so much. But, yeah, Yellen, none of this is a surprise. She was part of the Obama, O-B-A-M-A-O, administration, Biden VP. Remember back then? The new norm. You will deal with less and you will like it, just like in Klaus Schwab fashion. Yeah, well, you, you'll have nothing and you will like it, according to Klaus Schwab, you know, and and frankly, this is the third term of Barack Obama. There's just no two ways about it. Same administration, same faces, except except him. He's not he's not up front. He's just living down the street from the White House when he's not in his mansion on the waterfront. Martha Vin Martha's Vineyard 
not worrying about the water rising up over his property anytime soon. Anything else, Joe? Yeah, the other thing is unemployment. Same thing goes back to Obama. You have to remember they rechanged the language. They redefined what it meant to be on the unemployment statistics to artificially pad them to be lower. The only statistic that matters now, since unemployment numbers are meaningless, since they destroyed the definition, don't measure it like they used to, is the labor participation rate. And the labor participation rate was the lowest it ever was when Obama was in office, and now again we're hitting all new record lows of low labor participation rate. Those are the real numbers to look at. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. Well, you know, um, um, Oceania was at war with East Asia, and Oceania had always been at war with East Asia. You know, and as far as consumer spending, when she said consumer spending was up, yes, I find myself buying stuff now, like an extra pair of shoes, an extra uh, pocket knife. I see prices going up, and there's stuff that I know that, given a couple years from now, these are bargain prices, and I know I'm going to be replacing these things. I should buy them now, A, while I have some disposable income, and B, while the prices are lower. So I think yeah, there's some of that going Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. People are seeing the exponential increase. And, and sorry, I don't buy that the inflation rate is 9.1. It's, again, them playing with the definitions and fudging the numbers. We are at Jimmy Carter-level double-digit inflation and stagflation. It, yep. it is bad. And no amount of them trying to avoid the word recession is going to help it. And with this new spending that idiot mansion has agreed with Schumer on now, backdoor dealing some of the green new scam, we are going to get even higher inflation because they're flooding with more money. We are likely to go from Bidenflation to Biden recession to Biden depression. All right, Joe. Thanks for calling. Right. Appreciate it. You're absolutely you, right. Brother. Talk to you later. Bye. All right, we have on the phone Diane, and I don't know if we've talked to Diane before, and I'm sure this has to do with our conversation on Moment of Clarity, but that's fine by me. Yes, I'm Hi, a first-time caller, but I have been listening to the show for a very long time. Thank you. But the reason that I like to talk to your audience about is Tudor Dixon and Ryan Kelly. I've been doing a lot of reading about Tudor Dixon, and the Gateway Pundit had a couple articles today about her and uh, DeVos. Right? I call them rhinos because the more I uh, read about, because they're not supporting any other first American candidates here in uh, Michigan. And I haven't may, may, seen what she plans man. to do in the first 100 days where on Ryan Kelly's um, website, he has a list of the first, you know, what he's going to do in the first hundred days of his, if he, if he becomes governor. Okay, I understand that. I, that's why I was trying to interrupt you and clarify because you had mentioned both of them and I thought you can't possibly be calling Ryan Kelly an, an establishment figure. I would oh, not. Oh, no, I'm sorry uh, if, if, if I was confusing there. Oh, no. I mean, the more I read about him, um, my, how would you say, vote is more than likely going to go 
to him because with Tudor Dixon, um, from what's being reported, I mean, she doesn't talk too much about election integrity. And from once she got the DeVos support, that I don't think she can even mention it. Okay. I gotta, I've got to ask you to go back and I don't know if you missed the show where I interviewed her and asked her a series of pointed questions that I think would determine whether she was an establishment candidate or not. And I, I felt a lot better about her after her answers to those questions. Now, my wife, Sherry, she's not completely sold. Me, I can go either way. I can go Tudor Dixon. I can go Ryan Kelly. I like them both. I like Ryan more. But you have to look at electability, and I actually think Tudor Dixon's more electable against Whitmer. That's that's the balance. I'll, that's the decision I have to make on January, uh, January my goodness, August 2nd when I vote. So thanks for yeah. calling, Diane. I appreciate yeah. it. Good point of view. Don't be afraid to no call problem. in again. Thank you. All right. We've got Tom from Detroit. We've got a couple minutes to talk to Tom from Detroit. Hi, Tom. Hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going Ryan Kelly in the primary, just saying. Um, and, you know, you were talking about this uh, long, involved definition of recession. And, I mean, you know, talking like that, I mean, in listening, you, it could give you a headache if you let it. But I, I have, like, a short analogy that, you know, it, in my view covers it. It's uh, what, what's the difference between Tom from Detroit and the United States? Well, Tom from Detroit has money he hasn't spent yet. The United States doesn't. And, you know, it's been that way as long as I can remember. You know, yeah, they all, you know if you want to extrapolate it, I like to extrapolate it to you. You know, there's five foolish and five wise. They had lamps with oil, you know, that they needed you know, to burn these lamps for a party and, and the foolish ones that started the party early. And by the time the real party got there, they didn't have any oil left. And, uh, you, you know, you can call a recession, anything you want. It's like, you know, if you lost your job, it's a depression. If it's the other guy lost his job, then it's a recession. And, uh, yeah, these, these guys are something else. These, uh, you know, these Biden types, um, uh, with yep. the open borders and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's really too much. I, you know, and, and it's, this is what I call the open borders. That's Biden's temper tantrum. You know, he, he got in there first day and threw a temper tantrum against everything Trump did. And I mean, just craziness. Uh, okay. I appreciate, I appreciate that. And I want to clarify something here. We only have like a minute left for the music, half minute before the music. And I just want to clarify something. The real difference between the federal government and Tom from Detroit is Tom from Detroit has finite resources. And the federal government can print money and tax people. Thanks for that. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that, Tom. I appreciate it. I believe the music's going to start in about 15 seconds or so. And uh, I just want to say thanks for the calls today. Uh, one minute to go. Thank you, son. That's great. I'm not going to play Miro Bowser on immigration, you know, complaining. I have one more clip to play, but I'll, I will spare you that. I just want to thank people for listening to this show. I want to thank my wife, Sherry, for, for her financial commitment to it. And um, I want to thank Derek for producing it. Uh, that sounds like a sign off. It isn't. We're going to be here for a while. I just want to give thanks to God and to the American people. And uh, thanks for joining us. 
Enjoy the closeout music. America, bless God. See you next week. United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith, faith, faith. politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will not be hosting today's program. Ed Bondarenka will be filling in as today's host. In the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a moment on sports part one. The Detroit Tigers pummeled the San Diego Padres 12-4 this past Monday. Eric Haas belted a grand slam homer to plate Willie Castro, Riley Green, and Miguel Cabrera. Javier Baez hit a sacrifice fly and doubled to send home Harold Castro twice. Baez scored on a wild pitch by Mackenzie Gore. Jamber Candelario crushed a solo bomb and a two-run moonshot to plate Jonathan Scope. Willie Castro was sent home on a ground ball off the bat of Robbie Grossman, and Miguel Cabrera smashed a solo four-bagger to complete the Tigers' scoring. Will Vest earned his second win of the 2022 season out of the Detroit bullpen, after recording a pair of strikeouts and one and two-thirds innings of work. Now, here's your Moment of Clarity host for today's program, Ed Bondarenka. Hi, folks. Welcome to the show. What a surprise. So, Pastor Rick is either doing some roofers, or he has a case of the shingles, or something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but he won't be joining us today. Uh, so, I'm taking over the show. It's a two-hour show of your American heritage. Actually, Phil isn't here either, which is kind of discouraging. So it's just Derek, me, and you. And oh my, we have a caller. Derek, is somebody on the phone? Well, let's put that person on. Hi, mystery caller. Who are we talking to? Actually, you do have a mystery caller. You have two. You have Tudor Dixon and Matt Taperno with me. Oh, really? Matt's with you? Well, that's great. That's that's excellent. We've had Matt on the show before. I'm pretty certain about that. It's been a while. Probably do it again soon. Wait a yeah, minute. Hello. How are you doing? Real good, Matt. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. You haven't been on this show. That's why I'm confused. You were on Your American Heritage, which is at 2 o'clock on Saturday afternoons. Short plug for my show. So you guys are traveling together, and Tudor, I have a question for you. Have you had any major endorsements lately? You know, we had one last night, a guy that you may have heard of. Um, his name is President Donald Trump. <laughs> He's a rather establishment figure. Is that another establishment figure that's endorsed you? You know, I don't <laughs> think that he's seen that way. I think that um, we are... We are feeling really good about having the president come in. I'm very honored to have him come into this race and 
it's a great group of people that have been endorsed by President Trump. And so we're very excited to move through the next few days and get to that primary. You well should be. You well should be. Congratulations on that. That's a master. That's a coup in the good sense of the word coup, not like uh, the other people do coups around here. So um, I, I'm having fun with the establishment uh, uh, claims against you, as you know. I'm, I'm just making fun of that. In fact, I don't know if you realize this. I let uh, your camp know this. The last time you were on my show, I believe you were behind like 20% on a Friday. Saturday, you were on my show. We went through the run, run through of all the questions of, you know, to trying to discern whether you really were a an establishment candidate. And after you a- answered them all in what I feel was a, a number of people said, they were good questions and great answers. The following Monday, you were ahead by 11%. <laughs> well, that that must there. be because of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So congratulations. That's really good. Um, so you and Matt are, are saving car fare by, by uh, traveling together. Well, we actually met out here. We're in uh, Taylor, Michigan right now. We're going to the Rick Ector shooting event. Um, it's technically for women, but Matt's coming as a support because, uh, you know, he is strong on Second Amendment and, of course, strong on making sure people can defend themselves. But I'll let you talk to him about that for a second. Yeah, we're happy to be here. You know, Tudor is a great candidate, and uh, uh, she's going to do very well, I think, on Tuesday. Certainly she's got the president's support now, and uh, that means a lot. Uh, it shows everyone that really it's time to come together, and I think that's the president's message. Um, and Tudor is strong in the Second Amendment, so I'm coming out here to to support her for that. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm 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 pro Tudor at this point. My wife's a little bit ambivalent because she doesn't think she's come out in some of her campaign literature as strongly as some of the other candidates have. And I I think something about that has to do with trying to be electable after the primary, so that you don't, you know, you're not painted a certain way. Like when I asked. Was the election stolen? And, um, you know, the answer was, uh, the answer that Tudor had given was, well, illegalities were performed in order to gain the election. That way, you know, after the after the primaries, the uh, 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 Gretchen Whitmore camp can't come back and portray her as a wacko. So I understand these things. But my wife thinks I should ask you this question, Tudor. Do you denounce Satan and all his works? Absolutely. I'm a strong Christian. I know that. Thank you. That's great. Uh, Pastor Rick says to say hi to both of you, particularly Matt. Uh, He's not on right now, but he just uh, texted in or called into Derek. Uh, I don't know if if we have Pastor Rick on the phone right now. Pastor Rick, you there? Obviously not. So, well, I appreciate appreciate both of you calling in today, and that's great news. Uh, I think we've got a pretty good ticket going into this election with uh, with Matt, with you, with uh, Christine Caramo. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm just geeked about this. Um, well, we no, are, we I are guess, very excited about about the election. We're very excited about the general Dana Nessel. We we have a strong candidate here in Matt against Dana Nessel, and we have to make sure that we have Dana Nessel out of there, or we can't do the things that so many people want to do and investigate what happened, 
while these women have been in office and make sure that we prevent this from ever happening again. So all three of these seats are very important. Christina will be able to come in and clean up the voter rolls, make sure that we have fair elections, and we can get those election laws through the legislature that passed last year that she vetoed and make sure that we have common sense election law in the state of Michigan. Oh, dear God, please let it be. Please, dear God. Yes, that's my prayer. Um, Now, there are people who think that this election is going to be stolen also. Would you like to speak to that? You know, we have so many people in the state that are working to make sure this is fair. And you have to look at other states when people are concerned about that. We were not prepared like we should have been in 2020 on our side. But states like Florida had a strong ground game. And we have a team coming in that not only had the strong ground game there, but has also trained with about 15 different agencies and different organizations in Michigan right now that are preparing to make sure that there can not be any fraud. But, I mean, there's always maybe a certain amount of fraud. However, it will not be widespread fraud, and we will make sure that we eliminate as much as possible. We will have the boots on the ground. We have the people that will be at the polls for sure. We used to, in 2020, I think we had 5,000 poll watchers, but less than 200 were Republicans. So you have to understand there was a faith in the process because you hope that your election processes are secure and safe. We found that there were holes, and now we have the team out there to make sure that it is safe this time. But the law is the the most crucial part. We've got to get the laws passed. Amen. Joining us is our co-host, uh, Phil Stargell. Phil, did you have any comments or questions? Oh, just a, a greeting, say a good afternoon. And uh, I, I come in later uh, on the uh, conversation, but I'll be listening. And uh, if I have a question, I'll join back in. Excellent. Thanks, Phil. So um, you guys are in Taylor right now? Yes. I actually was looking for you at the breakfast at the 12th Congressional uh, Pancake Breakfast this morning. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see you guys there, so uh, missed that opportunity. However, I, um, I started my day at the Grand Rapids Gun Show. This is my um, wow. This is my day to go around and talk to men and women who want to be able to defend themselves. And so we're headed over to this women's training over here in the Detroit area to make sure that women are able to defend themselves and that they can, that they will learn the correct way to use a weapon. Amen. That's so important. And it is self-defense. It's not second amendment issues. It's not guns. It's being able to defend oneself in any situation. And the way I feel about it in any arena, I'm I'm tired of gun-free zones, to be honest with you. And I think that has to be something that uh, we prioritize going forward as possible. So, uh, and, of course, you're both constitutional carry people. Yeah, we, we are. We both uh, care about constitutional carry issue. Um, and, you know, right now the, the Democrats continue to assault the Second Amendment and people's right to defend themselves. Uh, and that's going to end when we're elected. When I'm attorney general, we're going to stop uh, some of these lawsuits that Dana Nessel has instituted to uh, shut down people's right to defend themselves, and uh, they're going to be able to uh, enforce uh, the Second Amendment and, uh, you know, carry weapons in order to defend themselves. Amen. Amen. That's great. Um, so it's really good having both of you. I know when we talked earlier, uh, you said you 
We're kind of limited on time. You got another interview to go into. I don't want to keep you from that unless, of course, you can blow them off and stay with us. Yeah, no, we got to get going, but we love stopping by. <laughs> I appreciate that, especially since I got blown off by a guy I was going to have on my show and now I've got content to fill. So, yep, I understand being true to your word, and that's great. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless both of you. God bless Michigan. America bless God. Thank you. God bless you as well. Thank you. Well, folks, that was Tudor Dixon and Matt DiPerno, our for our uh, um, um, future. Did I say former? It's because I'm tired. Our future governor of the great state of Michigan and attorney general. And things will change around here when that happens. Thank you, Jesus. So we have to work to make that happen. We have to put forth an effort. We have to present these candidates to our neighbors, to our coworkers, mention them, let them know what the issues are, how, where they stand, where you stand, and why. We need to have some good whys to answer the questions uh, of their whys. So, thank you. So, I went to this uh, breakfast this morning that uh, Joe uh, invited me to, uh, and my friend Martin Church uh, at... Uh, Oh, where were we? Come on, Ed. Romulus, that's the word, Romulus. And the 12th District Congressional Pancake Breakfast. I met a number of interesting people there today, and one of them was a guy running for Congress for the 13th District. And I think Derek is typing right now feverishly to tell me that he's on the phone. And if that's the case, no, Pastor Rick is here in the WAM studio and wants to come on the air. I, I got to say no. No, he can't. Nope. <laughs> what do you think, Phil? Should we let him on? Hey, I, I just want to take the time in. Uh, I want to thank you, Ed, for covering the show today. My home studio right now sounds like a construction site because that's exactly what it is. Um, have a whole new roof and everything else going on. But I, I had to stop in real quick uh, to say hi to uh, Matt and Tudor. Tudor, uh, I've been supporting you from day one. I uh, haven't wavered on that, and so, uh, and to Matt, Matt, I don't know if you remember me or not, but you and I met uh, a friend of mine who was uh, fired for having religious objections to the uh, to the vaccine, and I had a chance to meet you, Matt, at at one of his hearings, and uh, you did a wonderful job, and still doing a wonderful job, from my understanding. Yep, except both of them hung up just as you came on the air. <laughs> but we'll be sure to send them the podcast, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I love so, my audience enough to say that this still was not a waste of time. And so, <laughs> but I've got to get back and make sure that uh, they're, they're putting everything where they need to be on my roof. You know, you don't want the tar paper on top. You want the shingles on top and not on the bottom type thing. But, uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, you're having shingles put on. I thought you had the shingles and were doing roofers. That's not it, huh? No, and, and you're about to get fired. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Phil, how's your voice doing? You might have to take over the rest of the show. <laughs> I'm doing all right. How about you? Hey, I'm, I am I'm so good. In, in rare form. I am so good. How good Vitamins are you feeling? Taking me. 
So, hey guys, I got to get back to work. I'll be back next week on Moment of Clarity. Um, just to let my listeners know, this is not a two-hour version of Your American <laughs> Heritage. This is a one-hour version of Moment of Clarity, hosted by Your American Heritage host Ed Bondarenko. How's that? All right. You guys all have a blessed day, and I I will be talking to you all next week. Bye-bye. All right. We'll see you. Thanks for checking in. All right, Derek, don't let him in again, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now let me ask Derek a direct question. Do we have a caller? No. Shaking his – oh, no, he's – no, we don't. Okay, well, I talked to a gentleman this morning. I told him to call in roughly this time. And uh, maybe there was some, I don't know, mix up about that. So that means that Phil and I have time to talk with you. 734-822-1600. Now, uh, as you can tell, uh, Pastor Rick has come out full support of Tudor Dixon. So congratulations. Uh, I Did you have a chance to ask, ask her, uh, is her understanding of of uh the immigration thing uh, have we gotten to uh, border status yet on uh oh. <laughs> immigration no. i asked ryan kelly that last week when he supported an invasion of canada and <laughs> he said no whitmer tried that already tried sending heavy equipment a- across the bridge <laughs> now as as for me we still have a few more days until August 2nd, when we cast our vote in secret. And uh, I think there are reasons not to vote early. There are good reasons not to vote early. For example, uh, uh, Kevin Rinke, who is running for governor, who has a lot of supporters, came out on the uh, Charlie LeDuff interview a few days ago and said that even though he was for constitutional carry, that he would support background checks on private sales of guns between adult citizens, including long rifles. That's the kind of stuff that makes me go, nope, not my candidate. And so, you know, that's why I always wait until, you know, I mean, I I support people. I supported Ryan Kelly. I have given him money and I've given him time on air. I've done the same thing with Tudor. I'm a little bit ambivalent, but I'm this point, because of electability issues, I'm really leaning heavily towards Tudor Dixon. You guys do what you want. You don't need my endorsement. What you need is information. And that's what we're providing here is information. Okay. So we've got a candidate on the air, uh, on the phone right now, somebody I personally know, a good guy, and his name is Martin Church. So, uh, Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. Uh, Thank you for coming out to the breakfast. I hope you had a good time. Um, it was good. I hope you enjoyed all the speeches. We had a had a great time. A good opportunity to meet future candidates and hopefully our new reps. So, Martin, what are you running for? I'm running for the 32nd House seat in Michigan, which is essentially Ypsilanti. And I'm running on a pro-God platform with a message of it's time for us to do what God says. And that starts with prayer and relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with our community, relationship with 
our congregations, whether you be Catholic or whether you be Baptist or Pentecostal, you've got to have a relationship. It's time for men to step up and be men, not to be a wishy-washy type person. I support the Proverbs 31 woman. And if you don't know what that is, sit down, read Proverbs 31. That tells you exactly what a woman should be. So I'm, and it's I'm not looking some, forward and it's to not doing what God said. It's not a Stepford wife, is it? No. Matter of fact, she does more than most guys today. Runs yes. a household, plants a garden, runs a business, a lot of work. Yep. Yep, exactly. You know, I I heard a guy speaking this morning at that breakfast and and uh wow, I like that. That guy's really good. And I turned around and it was you. Now I didn't know you could speak that well. It was, it was very well done, sir. Very well done. I just let the Lord put the words in my mouth. I don't know what I'm going to say. I had a two-page thing, and I didn't even follow it. Well, good job. Really good job there. So uh, you're running for the 30, 32nd District. And where does that cover? That covers all of Ypsilanti. City, township. Wow. I think there's a little bit of... Augusta and Superior, but not not an awful lot. So it's mostly Ypsilanti. Okie doke. So, Martin, thanks for calling in. God bless you in your campaign. Uh, do you have anybody running against you in the in the primary? Officially, no. But I never count out a write-in candidate. The other side has a tendency to put up a candidate as a write-in, and then they shift their people over if there's no opposition on the top side to wipe out a strong candidate. So I never okay. write them off. All right, buddy. Good talking to you. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for calling in. Uh, all right. Talk to you later. Bye. And, of course, on the phone, uh, de rigueur, uh, which means it's it's mandatory, is the ubiquitous Joe Leonard, author of Terror Strikes. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, I wanted to ask Tudor if she's got a LG candidate picked, but it is early for that. We need to get to the primary, but I'm curious uh, who the LG candidate might be. Now, the LG candidate technically is picked by the convention, there will still be a September GOP convention, and they are the ones who pick the LG candidate. But it's always been a foregone rubber stamp conclusion that the governor candidate gets who they want. So, you know, I'm wondering if Chief James Craig would be open to that, because then after eight years of, say, Tudor Dixon and him as LG, we could see if I can trust him or not to actually vote for him in 2030, which at that time I think he would have proven himself, and I would be open to that, whereas I really was leery of him this for governor this run. I was, I was leery of him until my interview with him. After my interview with him, I was really sold on him, and I thought he was the guy until the following Monday after my show. He's disqualified because of the, the invalid signatures 
on the petitions, as were the other candidates like Perry Johnson and a few others, Markey, I think. And, you know, I'm as for the lieutenant uh, uh, governor, I don't even know how influential the idiot who is who's uh, Whitmer's uh, lieutenant governor. I can't even remember his name, tell you the truth. I just Gil know he's a lefto wacko. Gilcrest. Yeah, that's right. You had to remind me. Thanks a lot. So. <laughs> but <laughs> well, uh, hey, by the way, thanks for breakfast this morning. I appreciate that. Oh, hey, no problem. I'm glad you and Sheree could make it. And, uh, you know, but it will be important who we have up against to do the one debate against Gilcrest because, of course, they'll be using him, propping him up for identity politics, and especially if she can't play the I'm a birthing person card <laughs> against the real mother Tudor Dixon as our nominee. Exactly, exactly. And I don't think Tudor Dixon care about whether anybody goes out on a boat, much less her husband. So, uh, <laughs> Joe, thanks for calling. We've. Oh, uh, I love you, brother. Take care. God bless. Same here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for all you do. Well, folks, we got 30 seconds before we hit a hard break, and that means the music's starting to play. And that means I'm going to ask you to come back after the break for more of a moment of clarity. See ya. More with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering, on Wham. Ed Bondarenka is filling in for Pastor Rick today. He will be joining you momentarily. In the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a moment on sports. The Detroit Tigers defeated the San Diego Padres 4-3 this past Wednesday. Chamber Candelario singled to plate Javier Baez to give the Tigers a 1-0 lead in the first inning but it quickly disappeared in the fourth inning when Harold Castro's egregious error led to a pair of unearned runs for the Padres. Detroit tied the game two innings later when Candelario singled to send home Castro before San Diego regained a 3-2 advantage in the seventh inning. Victor Reyes saved the day for the Motor City Kitties in the bottom of the ninth inning, when he smashed the game-winning double to score Akil Badu and Jonathan Scope to give the Tigers their 40th victory out of 99 games this season. Now, here's your Moment of Clarity host for today, Ed Bondarenka. There, I gave you that ding. And, of course, joining us is <laughs> is Phil. So, Phil, uh, thanks for joining us and uh, um, uh, helping with the show today. We had, oh, we had uh, Tudor Dixon on. We had Matt DiPerno on. We had Pastor Rick on for a bit, too. And uh, then Joe Lennard, uh, author of Terror Strikes, called in. And now we've got Tom from Detroit calling. And then we're going to take a call from a gentleman I met at breakfast this morning. So first, let's talk to Tom from Detroit. Hi there, uh, Ed. Um, you know, there's a question I've been uh wishing you had asked these candidates and basically my speculation is, is it's one of the reasons we have Gretchen Whitmer now uh, because of uh, Rick Snyder when you know the the uh, Republicans uh, managed to get through the legislature to get rid of the uh, 
Michigan handgun registration. And, you know, the premise was that, you know, most states don't have handgun registration. Handgun registration does very little to prevent crime or solve crime. And, you know, in my opinion, registration is confiscation by another name. Uh, now, like I said, the, the bill went through the legislature, and, you know, miraculously there was one of those, um, you know, horribly emotional uh, school. It was some kind of a shooting, uh, some kind of a mass shooting. I think It may have been a school shooting. But, you know, and then all of a sudden Rick Snyder backed down and would not sign it into law. And, I mean, I think that's where uh, Rick Snyder, the Republicans in general, lost a lot of support. And that's how we ended up with Gretchen Whitmer, a Democrat, as opposed to uh, Bill Schuette, a Republican. And so I wanted, I was kind of hoping uh, you'd ask ask these candidates, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a controversial question, but yeah, you know, what about the Michigan handgun registration? Does it make sense? I mean, do we really need this? And yeah, you know, I, well, I guess that's about yeah, it. Don't don't hang up. Don't hang up because okay. I was just thinking about this this uh, assault weapons ban that's facing the Senate now, and this would affect you personally because you actually do own a grenade launcher, don't you? Uh, I I or, suppose I got you know I mean. It depends how you define a grenade launcher, I suppose. There's a, a basically a kind of a passive uh, grenade launcher on, on some old SKSs and like the French MAS. That's basically just a, it's, it's more, looks more like a muzzle brake. And it, you know, uh, one puts a blank round in right. and it, it basically fires, you know, it can launch a grenade if you have the right adapters for it. It's not, not like the uh, like the you know the U.S. Uh, know. <laughs> the grenade launcher that fits under an M4. Uh, well, I I would have liked to have asked that question, but like I was saying earlier, Charlie the Duff basically asked that question of Kevin Rinky and asked him about registration. And Kevin uh, Rinky is all about background checks. I think background checks are a form of registration. There's certainly a database of people who are applying to buy weapons. So. Uh, that's pretty much a, a, a national registration, and and I very much fear that, and I'm I'm opposed to them myself. And I think anybody who is for constitutional carry, as I think all the candidates, uh, the remaining candidates are, have said they're for constitutional carry. Once again, Rinky said that he was for background checks for private sales, particularly for long arms well, owners. Well, I think, uh, I think MGO, MGO was uh, one of the ones that really put in a lot of effort, you know, talking and lobbying. To the legislature to get rid of the Michigan, you know, the state registration, and then when Rick yeah. Snyder just refused to sign it because of some, you know, emotional political kind of a play, and that's what Snyder it was a Democrat like to me. Snyder was uh, a Democrat. So thanks for calling, Tom. I appreciate it. But <laughs> Snyder was just a Democrat that was recruited to run as a as a Republican by a bunch of Ann Arbor businessmen, poor uh, Democrats themselves. That's sad. We'll do better this time. So let's see now. Uh, I asked a gentleman named um, um, Markel Bivings to call in, and I, I also asked, I asked him to call in earlier, and I also asked Dr. Richard Ziley to call in. And doc, they're both on the phone right now, and I hate to make one wait for the other. But first, I'd like to talk to Markel Bivings because uh, I asked him to call. So 
Let's talk to him. How Nicole, are you? There? How are you? Oops. I'm fine. Yourself and you are running for Congress for the District 13, right? I am. Yes, sir. I am running for U.S. Congress in Michigan 13. All right. So give us a quick elevator pitch. I'll let you know when we get to the 12th floor. Okay, perfect. Well, like I said, Markel Bivings running for U.S. Congress. I am an East Sider, uh, born and reared on the West Side, went to Cody High School, then Howard University. I believe parents should have the right to choose where their children go to school. I think that's crazy that we've been talking about that. I'm a hardcore protectionist of a Second Amendment right. I believe we need to be cutting our uh, national debt, lowering taxes, getting us back to home eating costs and oil prices of three years ago. These are some of the things I'm going to push. It's going to be a very hard, arduous, uphill race as I am running in uh, one of the bluest districts in the country. But my, my former work as a business liaison, being on the ground, helping over 45 businesses to open, I know that there are more people in our district that believe in uh, conservative Republican ideas. I just have to talk to them and get in front of them and raise money. And I need people in the doors, people giving me a call and asking me about my issues to better understand where I stand and how I will fight for you. And once you see that, I just ask that you join the team. How is that? What floor are we on? Twelfth floor. Please step away from the door. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good Thank job, you. sir. Thank you. Thank you for I, I, me. I enjoyed meeting you this morning and talking to you. I, I, you have a great tan. You, your, your tan reminds me of Phil Stargell here. So, uh, oh wow, you know. <laughs> well, uh, and he also is reminiscent of me on the political end of the spectrum. Uh, you, you say that uh, there is a, uh, a receptive audience. Uh, 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 voting block in that area, and uh, your chances might be pretty good. Oh yes, yes sir, yes sir. We just got to get the party out. We got to get the people who believe in these things, which are a lot of people out. So uh, door knocking and several events. I want to have more events like the pancake breakfast uh, this morning in Romulus. It was beautiful. Yeah, and the weather was good too. All right, yes, Markel, sir. thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Uh, blessings to you, and uh, may all go well to you, and may you be one of the red wave as we take over Congress. Amen. Uh, the wave is coming. Thank you, brother. Be blessed. Same here, brother. All righty. Well, Lord, please help Markel in his quest to become a member of Congress to remove Pelosi from her seat of power. Thank you, Jesus. We have another guest calling in now, and I'm going to butcher his name because I never heard it this morning, and that would be Dr. Richard Ziley. Dr. Richard, pronounce your last name correctly for me, please. Pronounce it right, so thank you. Wow! As a guy who has my name butchered all the time, I thought <laughs> uh, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd you know, get it wrong. So that's wonderful. So you were on the national, well, for one thing, let's get things straight. Give me your bio. Well, I'm the pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church, a Missouri Synod congregation for 21 years now in uh, Taylor, Michigan, uh, corner of North Line and Telegraph. Uh, I grew up in Highland Park. Uh, my parents sent me from public school to Lutheran High West in Detroit and there, we were more afraid of the teachers than we were of the bullies. And that has influenced my uh, 
view of education ever since because the teachers had much better plans for me than the bullies did back in the public schools. I then went to Valparaiso University in northwest Indiana. I met my beautiful wife of 44 years there. And um, then uh, to, uh, came back and taught at Lutheran High, uh, got a master's from the Rackham School in education, uh, then went to Concordia Seminary of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, majored in worship, um, liturgics, and such. I uh, was also able to do a master's in church history at the Harvard Divinity School in Boston, where I also interned. Pastor for five years in Indiana, or rather for five years in New Jersey, um, New, greater New York area. And then finally, with four young kids, I had to take a call back to Detroit where there were babysitters. I worked with, with Lutheran schools in the city of Detroit, and when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. I wrote a doctoral uh, uh, dissertation, a DMIN dissertation for Detroit's Ecumenical Theological Seminary on uh, parochial school closings in the decade of the 1990s. Um, helped organize oh, a charter school in northwest Detroit, uh, the old Redford Academy, which is still in business 20 years later, and uh, eventually was elected to the Michigan State Board of Education. And I served on that board for eight years led the conservative opposition to the so-called bathroom bill, uh, which was adopted over our objections by the Democrat majority on that board. And I'm very hopeful that we will be able to replace two Democrats with Republicans this fall and um, at least have uh, parity on the board. When you have parity on the board, you can't undo anything, but you can stop bad stuff from being done. So I hope we can... Amen. The Democrats well, what the, stuff. One of the things I like to focus on personally is is pastors who are politically active. For instance, uh, we have a mutual friend, Chris, uh, Pastor Christopher Toma. Uh, um, now the name of his church escapes me. I just knew it at breakfast with you this morning. Our Savior. Our yes, Savior our Lutheran Savior Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I don't have bitonitis. That's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so... <laughs> and 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 uh, 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 Pastor Dr. Richard uh, joining us is Phil Stargell. Uh, he's in studio with us right now. That's that's he who you heard laughing. And uh, so, like I was saying, one thing that I'd like to see is pastors who are politically active on the conservative side. Because man, I I was just driving a few days ago down the street, uh, Harris Street here in town to Big Sky Diner, where I like to eat a lot too much. And uh, I passed this church that I never knew anything about them except it used to be, well, actually, it used to be a Lutheran church, but I know it's changed brands, it's changed hands. And there are all of these signs in the front lawn of this church for all these Democratic candidates, which is, as far as I'm concerned, a no-no, because you're not supposed to support a candidate, only a cause. Am I correct on that? Uh, Yes. The short answer So, as a... As a pastor or a church, you can endorse a a cause, uh, an issue. You can be pro-life. You can be pro-Second Amendment. You can be anti-government. You can be anything else. But you just can't name that candidate who stands for all those things. That's right, right? Well, it's a little more complex than that. There are some who argue, and I incline to support the argument, that uh, th- that these 
these restrictions, uh, which apply to n- nonprofit organizations, you see, nonprofit organizations are under the stricture. Uh, they can educate the public but can't endorse partisan politics. Uh, and that's been applied to churches. But uh, there is a school of thought, and, and I, I favor that school of thought, uh, that churches are really not uh, bound by this. And those who attempt to hold the churches. Um, uh, uh, tax-exempt status uh, as, a, as, a, as a club over their heads, uh, probably are running afoul of Marbury versus Madison, which was... Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, in which John Marshall said the power to tax is the power to destroy, and the government does not have the authority to destroy or restrict uh, religious... Exactly. Religious. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's why churches have historically been tax-exempt, tax is because of that. And, and yet... Here we have the Johnson Amendment that says, "Oh, you can have be a 503c as long as you don't, you know, the the what we were talking about, endorse a candidate." And interestingly enough, there's a there's something called the 508. I was having this conversation with a pastor, Pastor Dan McGee, recently because he's thinking of taking his church and just making it not for profit, but taking it off of 503, so that there are no government constraints on his church. I know there are other churches who have done that. I think Pastor Rick has taken the same stand with his church that uh, we're not, a, yeah, Phil is shaking his head, yes, that they're not a 503C. So he could say whatever he wants in the pulpit, which is exactly the way it should be. That's certainly the way our founding fathers saw with uh, like the Black Robe Brigade that we were talking about at breakfast this morning. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, um I'm not sure how the 508 works. Go ahead, Phil. Well, the question I would have is, how uh, is the Catholic Church is so involved in in, in uh, sanctuary for illegals? Because that's an issue. But I mean, Pastor, uh, did you want to address that? Well, just that there's a complicated... Um, there's a complicated uh, uh, law or tradition of laws behind the sanctuary movement, and uh, to my knowledge, it has not been uh, worked out in American courts. So it's it's more of a, a tradition in the Catholic uh, and in Roman law than it is in English common law. Yeah, which is- yeah exactly. And... Uh- for instance, one of the reasons to be a tax-exempt church is so that basically when people give money to the church, they can claim it as a deduction. And I'm of the opinion that maybe some Christians should think hard about the tax deduction being so important to whether to giving to a work than uh, giving to the work itself. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That's quite so, uh, that's quite true. Uh, we we sometimes try to motivate people with the wrong motives. Uh, the idea that you're going to save on your taxes, you know. So um, yeah, that's, that, uh, it, it actually that's I'm just reminded I could of, save ninety percent and not give this as a church at all. So yeah, right. I'm reminded of uh, Jesus' famous words: "Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and to God that which is God's." And you know, I mean, hey, if you got to pay taxes 
on your money, it's income. Well, that's fine, but you give God his due also, and don't worry about whether you get a rebate from the government on what you gave God. Well, it's an interesting legal question. Uh, I've read um, uh, I've I've read Blackstone's uh, uh, commentary on English laws on this area, and of course, in English law, the uh, your taxes support the church, and so the the disestablishment of the church means that public money no longer funds the religious establishment. Um, now, to turn around and to uh, tax such establishments uh, is, is the converse, and I would argue that taxing churches is um, the kind of regulation uh, that is, that is uh, contrary to the spirit, if not the letter of the Constitution. Uh, oh yeah, freedom of freedom of religion, freedom from establishment of religion. Uh, you know, and then of course there's freedom of assembly, which would be a religious serv- service. Which of course, our uh, Governor Whitmer had no problem with quashing all of that freedom of assembly, freedom of worship, and uh, you know, government overreach. Uh, the government is not our friend. I don't care who's in power. The government is not our friend. The government is there supposed to be enforcing the laws that our representatives uh, write in in our name, not make dictates towards us or tell us we can't go to church or that uh, our church has to close. Um, yes, and you, and um, the it's odd we have uh, there's a there's a converse relationship between the number of laws and regulations we have and how many of them actually get enforced efficiently. So we've got multiplying all kinds of regulations on firearms when if we would just enforce the law against murder and assault, um, we wouldn't have to worry about all these extraneous laws. And uh, the, the case histories of these mass shooters, a case in point. So many of them had run-ins with the law. So many of them uh, got slap on the wrist or just ignored or fell through the cracks or whatever. If we were more efficient with the existing laws, we wouldn't need these new regulations. Exactly. I'm reminded of the uh, the concept of a hate crime as an adder to a crime or, you know, just, oh, yeah, that was a hate crime. Yep, yep. Let's uh, give him another 10 years for that because of his, what we think is his motivation, which is like, are, are you kidding me? This, this, I... I don't think, I don't want a larger Supreme Court, but man, there's so many cases that need to hit the Supreme Court that would overwhelm 12 people or nine people. You know what I mean? It's, uh, mm-hmm. and yet there's so much to be done there. So much to be done to get our freedoms back. Well, that is problematic, you know, a hate crime. Uh, so now the jury is being asked to read somebody's heart and, um, yeah, I'm, that's, I'm that's, reminded, I think, yeah. was it a movie with Tom Cruise called Minority Report? Was that Tom Cruise or? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, we're basically there. Yeah, oh, we think you're going to commit a crime. Therefore, we're going to arrest you in advance so you don't commit the crime. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful concept. We're, we're halfway there. We're more than halfway there. <laughs> yeah, when they, uh, when they disarm uh, people that have done absolutely nothing because somebody thinks that you know it's it's going to prevent something from happening no what could have prevented it the person that did do something 
if you had have acted when he did the first thing and did the right move. Instead of that, they, uh, they, they um, like, uh, with the teenager that was wrestling with the cop and mopping the floor up with the cop, basically. Mm -hmm. And they turned him loose. You, don't you think he will be back? Well, yeah, well, you get what you reward, huh? You let that oh, go. Yeah. yeah, you let that go. So I guess that's okay. I'll do it again. Let's see what happens next time. Yeah, that's it's pathetic. It's it's it's. Well, of course, that's what George Soros is trying to do. He's trying to get all these DEAs in, and he has that won't yeah. prosecute. Will let people go. I mean, boy, finally that that guy who uh, um, uh, protected himself by knifing his assailant. In that uh, what they call a bodega in New York City, yeah. he got off. Well, he's got lawyers' fees. That that's ridiculous. The guy, you know, self defense. Yeah. Um, well, here's yeah. here's something that most people don't realize about American justice. It's not the punishment; it's the process. In our system, the process is the punishment, and uh, so when you get arrested, you know, you may you may. Uh, you may be arrested for a crime and sentenced to 30 days in the House of Correction, but before you get to that 30 days, you've got months of litigation and lawyers' fees and mm -hmm. public relations headaches and loss of business and and uh, developing ulcers and all that sort of thing. Um, and January 6th comes to mind. All these people who are, and my guest on my show, who uh, told me that he will be on after all. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, isn't that same boat? So, uh, Dr. Zile, thanks for coming on, uh, joining us today. We have uh, 15 seconds. What happened here? Is that the right sign, Derek? Oh, my goodness. Folks, thanks for joining us. Moment of clarity. God bless America and America bless God. You've been listening to a Moment of Clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Be sure to tune in again next week right here on Wham Radio 